I'm going to share with you out of the book of Philippians, if you have your Bible with you and would like to open there. Uh, it's just a very encouraging book. Paul is trying from the jail cell, he is trying to write a letter to this church to encourage them in their walk with Christ. And personally, I believe that's something that we need on a daily basis. We need to get into the scriptures and we need to be encouraged by the truth of God's word to walk with Christ the way he has called us to. You know, Paul loved this church because you can see it all through this book. You see where he said, it'd be great to go be with Christ, you know, but it's important that I stay here and be with you for your joy and for your faith. I mean, he was always writing, uh, showing his heart, encouraging them in Christ that what God has started, God is going to complete. Uh, just great truths to encourage them in their race, he would call it in one part of this book, their race, their Christian life. Well, the text I want to share with you today is out of the first chapter, and it's verses 27 through 30. And I really uh, appreciate that, them singing, I need you. They did, I didn't mention it to them, but I sang that, I think, every day this week. Uh, that was my theme song for the week, I guess, in preparation for this morning, that how I need Christ. And that's true of all, the, all of us. We have a, a great need in our life to, to understand that he is the one who is sufficient for us, that we are not sufficient in ourselves. So we need to always remind ourselves of that great truth. But let me share with you these verses. He says in verse 27, <coughs> excuse me, allergies always, <coughs> only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that because of what you've done in Christ, that we're able to gather and sing these great songs of <clears throat> thanksgiving. Lord, to be reminded of our great need for you, but also how you are our help, that you are sufficient in all things. I just pray this morning that you would help me speak and help us hear. Lord, that um, you would be honored in all that takes place today, that you would just capture our thoughts this morning and, and upon yourself. Lord, I, I just thank you for loving us with such a great love that you sent your son. And not only did you send him, but then you sought us out. And you called us to yourself and you gave us life. And, and how can we do anything, Lord, but be thankful? But I'm afraid often in life we're not. So I, I just pray today, God, remind us. Remind us of the call on your life or our life. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> You're gonna have to forgive me today. Anyway, so what I want to share with you this morning is Paul's encouragement or Paul's call to these believers in Philippi. 
And as I said, he is writing from Rome. He, he calls it his time of imprisonment. And he's calling them to a specific type of life. And this is true of every one of us in here who profess to know the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it's also got truths for those of you who have not yet believed. And I say not yet because my hope really is that God will deal with you and that he will call you to himself and he will give you faith and you will believe in him. But it's really written to believers. And the first statement he makes to them, this is really what kind of captured my thoughts this week, I guess. He said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, we know there's no way that we can live in any way that's going to add value to the gospel, right? We know that. The gospel is in the fullness of Christ. It is the greatest treasure to know Jesus Christ, okay? It is the good news. But he says, let your manner of life. So I just got out some different translations and began to look at it. And King James there had, let your conversation. Uh, and that's a good word. It's just a word that we don't use a whole lot today. We, we use the word conversation, and we immediately think of our talking with one another, right? Our conversing with one another. And really this verse, <clears throat> this word means much more than that. Uh, New American Standard has the word conduct, which applies to your whole life. The Christian Standard Bible, I, I really kind of like the, the word they use, and it is a word that you can do a word search on, and it comes to this, and it is a word as, as citizenship. It is a call to live as a citizen. Now, what is important about that is over in Philippians 3.20, for one thing, Paul reminds these Christians that they are citizens of heaven, that, that this place, as Jesus said, is just a, a temporary place that we're living in. Peter said that we are pilgrims in and sojourners in, but now he's saying citizenship. So what is important about that? Well, when you are a citizen of a country, you live under the laws of that country. You have responsibilities to that country. You are accountable in a sense, and you have the privileges of that country. What came to mind... Uh, our Thursday morning group, we've been going through the book of Acts, and Acts 16 was Paul and Silas in Philippi. And remember, Lydia came to know Christ, and then they were uh, put in prison. Paul and Silas was put in prison. Remember, they sang through the night, and the, there was a great earthquake, and the, the jail doors flew open and everything, and the jailer came in there, and he was scared to death. And not only him, but later, the leaders were scared. You know why they were scared? Because they had, they had beaten Paul and they had imprisoned Paul. So what's the big deal about that? He was a Roman citizen. There are certain privileges that citizenship affords you. So he is talking here to us that there is a way that you and I as Christians, that we're supposed to live our whole life, our manner of life. Another word picture I found interesting about that well, as you remember the old scales, and I know you do, it's got the bar across the top, and it's got a chain on each end, and on one end you put a weight, and on the other end you put something else, and you see how they balance out. Well, that word is there as well, that word picture. It is the idea that you have the gospel of Christ on one side, and you have your life on the other side, and guess what? It's not like this, but it is leveled out. Our life is to be lived in a manner that, just, I hate to use the word justify, that's not a good word, reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Okay? When people hear us speak and see the way we interact and the, the things that we do with our life as a citizen of America is expected to do certain things, well, we as a citizen of heaven, we are expected to live our lives in a certain manner. Uh, another interesting thing I think about that little phrase in there is as he is going through, and I'll try to point this out to you in these verses, He's, I don't think he's really talking so much about being citizens of heaven here as he is talking about being citizens of the body of Christ. And, and what I mean by that is the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean bricks and, and lights and all this, okay? I, I mean the called out people of God. So Paul would be saying here and bringing to their mind, because you are a part of this body of Christ, you should be living your life in a manner, us together corporately, and we'll see that, in a way which reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, one of the things that means is, is he said, whether I am come and see you or whether I am absent, it means consistency. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to live this manner of life and just when the pastor comes to lunch, or, or just when you're at church on Sunday morning, or, or just when you're a small group, he's saying, listen, this is supposed to be the mark of a child of God all the time. We are to be consistent in Christ-like living that brings honor to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't miss the fact that he is talking here about the gospel of Christ. We are to live our life Worthy of the gospel of Christ. One of the things that tells me is we have to be a believer. But it also tells me, you know what? We need to have an, an understanding of the gospel of Christ. And it's almost ridiculous that I have to say that to, to a bunch of believers. But it's true. Some of us have trouble articulating what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And every one of us here who profess the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Creator. Savior profess that there has been a time in our life that we have heard the truth about Jesus, who he is, what he has accomplished, what he is doing, and we have rested in him. We have placed our trust in him. We should be able to say what the gospel of Christ is. Now, we may not all say it the same, but we should be able to say it. And I'm not talking about theological discourse. Why is that important? How do you live your life like that if you don't even know what it is? Right? I should be able to call any one of you up here, and I'm not going to, any one of you up here today that profess to be a believer and put my hand on your back and say, tell them what the gospel of Christ is. Every one of us should be able to do that. I don't know if you've had a, a membership visit from this church, but... Now when you do, and I think we've been doing it for years, there's a little folder that Pastor Jason wrote up in it. One of our desires is for every member of this church to be able to share what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Man, that is the message that we proclaim. That's why Paul is in so much trouble. Because he was always proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he tells us first and foremost, I want you to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in the next, I see here, it is a call to unity. And when I say a call to unity, I do not mean a life of ease. If you glance back at those verses, you see phrases like standing firm. 
You see a striving side by side. You see the word opponents. Uh, you see the word suffer. You see the word conflicts. So when we're talking about being a child of God, we're not talking about everything always being smooth and being easy and everything always going well. Man, we are talking about a life that God has called us to that often has struggles within it. But yet, even in the midst of that, we are called to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's just think about those words for a few minutes. One of them, he says, standing firm in one spirit. Okay, now this here, this could be a Veterans Day message, all right? Because it is a military word, but I'm not making it that. It is a military picture, this standing firm. It is a military picture of the Roman soldiers, and they would have these shields. They had different types of shields, but one group of them had these full body size shields, and they would actually use them to get together, and they would either interlock their elbows or interlock their shields in some way. That man, they just made a wall of shields. And their enemies could not, could not really break through those things. They were standing firm, and they were doing it together, all right? It's a defensive position. Uh, the, the Roman soldiers had a saying, it was the sword is for my enemy, but the shield is for my brother. Okay, now this is important because it's in these phrases where we begin to see the unity that Paul is calling this church to. He says, standing firm in one spirit. Again, every translation I looked at had that word in lowercase s, which means he is more than likely here talking about the spirit of a person. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit, although we know it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to live a Christ-like life. Here he is talking about this standing firm, and he really doesn't mean that we all feel the same, but he is saying there is this truth that locks us together where we stand Firm together. You might use the phrase heart. With one heart. One passion. We are together in this, this truth of standing firm. And then he uses another phrase. He says with one mind striving side by side. Again this doesn't mean that we all think alike. But it does mean that we should be single minded concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said striving side by by side uh, striving that is an athletic picture that, that's a picture of two athletes and they're going after it and one is trying to defeat his opponent he is trying to to reach the goal and, and win the reward it's also a military term uh, a military I like word pictures by the way you may have noticed it is a military term of, of like the Vikings when they would when they would attack someone they would get as close as they could possibly get and they would just charge toward them and it was like a human battering ram as it moved forward Paul is saying listen church that is the way we are supposed to be about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be standing firm with one spirit, and we are supposed to be striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Side by side, not nose to nose, all right? And, and there was a couple of ladies in Philippians, and if you're familiar with Philippians, you know this. They were having some issues, but you know, Paul used the same language for those two ladies. He said, these two ladies labored side by side with me. So we are supposed to be a body of believers who are united together, who are standing together, 
side by side. In fact, 16 times in the book of Philippians, Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, he uses a word which is a reference to the word together. We are supposed to be together in this issue of living out the Christian life. Of course, we're supposed to be together in the ministries and everything we do, but he is talking about the life we live as individuals. We're not called to live this life alone, but we are called to live it with one spirit and one mind. Uh, in fact, this nose to nose deal, you know, if you read the scriptures, you're not even supposed to be that way with your opponents. The scripture says even dealing with your opponents, you're supposed to be talking to them with kindness and with love. Man, this idea of let's get nose to nose and fight it out, that's really not a scriptural picture, okay? We're supposed to be people who have been transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be a body of believers who are individuals yet united in Christ. That's why Jesus Christ was able to say, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. He didn't say against an individual believer. He said the church, a body of believers, he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the gates of hell cannot keep out the church. We will knock it down. The gates of hell cannot prevail. It's not the church hiding behind a gate waiting on hell to come against us. It is like that human battering ram. The church is gathered together as a body of Christ, and they're fighting the fight for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. United. In fact, Jesus over in John chapter 17, verse 21, he just, just to remind you of the importance of the unity of the, of the body, he said in verses 20 through 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their, through their word. Guess what? That's all. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Man, God uses a united body. He uses a united body as a witness to the truth and the reality that God has sent his son. Now then, it's not, easy, it's not an easy call to unity because he said we have to stand firm. He said we have to strive together side by side. But he also used some phrases here. He said you have opponents and you have conflicts. Now, I know... Uh, that we have the three enemies that we often hear about and talk about is Satan, the world, and flesh. But that's really not what Paul is talking about here, okay? He, he is talking about false teachers. He is talking about false teachings. These are enemies who come in with what Paul would say a different gospel, but it is not a gospel. It is those who would minimize the gospel to gain a following of themselves or for personal power. He makes reference to it in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 of Philippians. He said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not surly, sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. All right? So what he is making reference here to is these false teachers who have come into the church 
and they are adding to the gospel or most of them are taking away from the gospel so that they can get a following for themselves. Now, I tell you what, brothers and sisters, that, that is a, a great conflict that is being fought today. Uh, I'm so thankful, I think, in our church that that's not taking place. We don't have people minimizing the gospel, I hope, but watch TV sometime. Read some of the stuff that's going around. Man, there are people that take so much away from the gospel. And instead of making it a God-centered gospel, they're trying to make it a man-centered gospel. They're trying to not make it something that calls us to battle, not to stand firm, not to strive together. They want a gospel that says, hey, it's just a little stroll through a rose garden. Everything will be easy. That's who you want to follow. That's not the gospel. In fact, Jesus did not promise us a rose garden, did he? Well, heaven, I guess. But what he promised us is trials and tribulations. Ask old Stephen if the gospel leads to the good life. Remember, he got stoned, didn't he? Because he believed the gospel and he proclaimed it. Look at Paul. He's in prison. Name one of the apostles that did not suffer because they proclaimed the gospel. See, we have opponents. And the opponents that we have probably are going to be these type of opponents, are those who want to weaken the gospel. They're the ones who want to bring division into the body of Christ. The world in darkness will always be in conflict with the gospel and light. That's just the way it is. And if we're people who are living our life worthy of the gospel, he, to he told us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that those who choose, choose to live godly will suffer persecution i mean it's just a fact it's just the truth of god's word that we have opponents it's not just fighting about i want you to see that it's not just fighting against something i want you to see it as fighting for something you see it says for the faith of the gospel and the truth is this probably applies to you and i more than the idea of a loss of life probably very few of us in here will ever lose our life for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'm not a prophet in saying that. I'm just saying as I look at my life in society, I think there's probably very few of us that will suffer persecution like our brothers and sisters in India and other parts of the world and China are suffering. But what we do deal with is this type of issue. This type of issue of people who want to come into the body and they want to weaken the gospel. They want to add to the gospel. They want to take away from the gospel. They want to make it, like I said, a man-centered thing instead of a God-centered thing. And what we have been called to is for the faith of the gospel. That means you and I, again, we need to understand and know what the gospel is. How do we fight for something if we don't even know what it is? See, we need to have an understanding of the truth of God's word. In fact, this word faith, I find it interesting. And again, I really think it's used both ways because of the context. And I'll share why. Faith is used in two ways. One of the ways faith is used, like I have faith in Jesus. Or please, please pray that my faith will grow. Okay? Uh, I, I would, I would uh, use that along with this idea of in one spirit. Because when I think of that type of faith, that's what I'm thinking about. It is a thing of the spirit. It is a thing that God entrusts us with, faith. But then there's another type of faith, and it is used in an idea of 
the faith. It, it is a set, it is an order of doctrine. Uh, we might say like the Baptist faith and message, we would call that the faith. It is an order of faith. Other churches have their things. It, it is this outline of doctrine that tells what beliefs is. Let me, let me just point you to Jude just for a second. Jude verses 3 and 4. This is the exact way it's used over here. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about the co our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to, to, here it is, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And here you go. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated by, for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and to deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's exactly, I think, what Paul is talking about when he writes this church in Philippi. Why do I, I think he's using the, both ideas of faith? Because he used the idea of our spirit, and then he used the idea of our mind. And I think both of those relate to those two types of faith. So God's Word is calling you and I to stand firm to strive together for the truth of the gospel. This is a real issue in America today. You know, uh, like I said, we're probably not going to die for our faith. But man, I think the issue for us is are we going to stand for the truth? Or are we going to stand firm for the gospel? Or are we going to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel? Or are we going to do like Jude warned about and just kind of kick back and hey, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will happen, will happen with that attitude. No, we should, we should never do that. I heard on TV this morning, 52% uh, of evangelicals, and I'm not talking about the world, okay? I'm talking about evangelicals do not believe in truth or a moral truth. You hear that? 52% of people in churches today would not strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. They would not stand firm. Why? Because they don't even believe it. They do not even believe the truth of God's word or the gospel. It's been said for a lot of people, if a dust storm ever blew through, or the wind ever blew through their house and the dust blew off the Bibles, it'd be a dust storm. I hope that's not true of you. Man, I hope that you are a person who understands the importance of being in God's Word, that you are in small groups, that you are in Sunday school, that you are in worship service, and in your homes. Man, I hope you open the Scriptures together. Man, I just hope you're taking the Word of God into yourself, and the Spirit of God is taking that Word and washing and cleansing and growing and purifying and making and transforming us into the people that He wants us to be. See, those are the people who are standing firm. It's amazing to me I, that people can sit for hours and, and talk about politics and, and what's going on in society and everything else, but you bring up the gospel and there's silence. Yeah? Hand out an article about that's not prophesying about we need to get back to the gospel and see, see how much interest there is in the article about we need to get back to the gospel. See what I'm saying? Man, there is a loss amongst many people today. They have no heart, really, 
for the truth. And when it's really sad is when it's people who profess that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, my question for us today up to this point would be, not are you willing to die for the truth? And most of us would probably say, yeah, I am, but we really don't know. We've never had to. But the real question for us is, will you live for the truth? Will you live for the faith of the gospel? Will you live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? See, that is the challenge that Paul is issuing to this church that he loves so much. I might even ask us this, or are you waiting for someone to stand with you, or are you going to them and saying, hey, let's walk together. See, that happens far too many times, too. People stand on the outside and wait and watch. We're not called to that. God didn't say join the church and then sit, sit wherever and just watch things go and don't get involved, don't... Don't stand side by side with people. Don't interlock your elbows and say, let's go forward with this. Man, just think it's another club. Surely none of you think that. So then, last, let's look at verse 28. The assurances that God gives us when we live a life worthy of the manner of the gospel of Christ Jesus. One of the assurances he gives us, he says, not being frightened. Now, I was just sitting back there by Brian a while ago, and I said, you know, I got butterflies in my stomach, and I've been doing this 40-plus years, and it's true. <laughs> I still get butterflies before I get up. Once I open my mouth, they fly out. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it, he says we're not to be frightened. We're not to be frightened by our opponents. Why? We know the truth. It, it's the truth. It's the Spirit of God indwelling us that rids us of that fear and, and of being frightened. This is another neat word picture. That, that is a, a picture of a horse that shies away in battle. It's like a stampede of horses because, hey, we want to go this way, but no, nah, there's arrows and spears that way. Let's go this way. All right, that, that's what that word means, frightened. He says, don't be like that. You know, God did not give us a spirit of fear. The scripture says he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And when we live our life that way, a life of boldness instead of a life of fear, he says, for one thing, that is a clear sign to them of their destruction. When those who are outside Christ, when they see people who are living their life, walking in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, one of the things it gives certainty to, that there is a certainty of destruction. I have a good friend, and I think he's still a good friend, uh, and and when I was working out in the oil field, we were talking. I'm sure you've probably heard this. It's, it's nothing new with me. And, and he said, you know, if, if, if you're right, it, it doesn't cost. No, he said, if you're wrong, it's not going to cost you anything. But if you're right, it's going to cost me everything. Isn't that true? Destruction. There is a certainty of destruction. He's a believer today, I'm glad to say. But destruction is certain. And also, he says, not only is it a sign to them of their destruction, but it's also a clear sign of your salvation. In other words, brothers and sisters, we are supposed to live a spirit-empowered, truth-directed life that points to the reality of our salvation. I, I had a guy ask me, and, he, and again, I think it was joking, but he asked me, he said, do you think I'm saved? I said, man, I can't tell you if you're saved. Any pastor that takes that on himself, nope, 
We have no right to tell you if you're saved or not. We, we can't see in your heart. We don't know what's really going on in your heart. Yo, folks, just because we come to church on Sunday morning don't mean we're saved. Okay? So, so we, we can't do that. But the thing is, the Spirit of God can. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. And it's when we are living this life that God has called us to, empowered by the Spirit of God, walking in the truths of God, the Spirit of God gives us assurance. So he said that's one of the great blessings. But, but don't miss also in verse 28 through 30, God's grace gifts. You'll like some of these, you won't like some of them. But one of them, he says, is one grace gift is your salvation, that from God. I think one of the, the biggest things that's taking place today, and what it has for ages, that people are taking salvation out of the hand of God and they're putting it into the hand of man. And they, what they're doing, they're just minimizing the great salvation that God has for us. And what that does is that just brings God down and it brings man up. And it takes very little to make us right with God. Just ask yourself today, when you think of your own salvation, how, how do you use terminology when you talk about your salvation? Well, I, I did this, and I did that, and I... Or, or do you say, a holy God did this in my life, and he did this in my life. But I guarantee you, again, turn on your TV, and you'll hear message after message after message about how salvation is in the hand of man. Any gospel that doesn't start with God is not good news. It's not. Even in the Old Testament. You go to the Old Testament, and I don't have time for this, but if you read Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 28, and look at it in the Hebrew, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know Hebrew, but I know how to read books by people who do know Hebrew, okay? So, but if you'll go back there, every statement he makes in those verses, which we don't see in our English translation, God puts himself in front of each of those things he does. Like where it says, give them a new heart. He says, I will give them a new heart. Then give them a new spirit. I will give them a new spirit. It's not I at the beginning of the paragraph, then all those statements. Every one of them is an emphasis that God is the one who has done this. Look what he says he has granted to us through Christ. And by the word, that word granted is a grace word, okay? It's a gift word. Look, look what God has done. He has granted us, one, to believe in him. Now, I used the word rest a while ago for believe because I think that's a good idea of what belief is. It's when we rest in God, when we, <clears throat> when we, when we trust in God, his redemptive work. See what I'm saying to this morning, and you may not agree with me, but that's okay. I just don't believe anyone wakes up someday and says, you know what? I think I'll believe today. I just think I'll believe in Jesus today. I don't think that happens. It says he has granted to you to believe. God gifts us with belief. If you don't agree with me, read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If you don't agree with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, read John 6, verses 35 through 50. Now, you cannot miss the fact that those who believe on Christ are those whom God has given to the Son. Belief is a gift. 
Now, if we really believe that we believe because God has granted us the right to believe, that changes our whole outlook on what it means to be a believer. It means we should be getting on our knees before God and saying, God, thank you. Thank you, Father, that I have faith. Thank you, God, that you gifted me with belief. Instead of saying, well, one day I chose Jesus. <laughs> you better hope Jesus chose you, okay? Because he's the one who gifts us to believe. Look what else he granted us. This is the part I said we may not like. Uh, and it's, he's also granted us to suffer for his sake. If we live the gospel, if we speak the gospel, we are probably going to offend someone. Why? Because there's always that light and darkness aspect. We do, we do not, I hope we don't, we don't go out and say, man, I'm going to share the gospel today and I'm going to offend everybody I can offend and I'm going to make them hate me. I hope that's not what we do, okay? But if we really go out in, in the power of the Spirit of God and we speak truth, there are going to be people that we offend. Well, Pastor, you just said we're probably not going to get persecuted. I encourage you to go back sometime and read 1 Peter chapter 2 and see the things he mentions about what it means when we offend someone. You know what he says? He says, they're going to slander you. Have you ever been slandered? I have. It says they're going to speak evil against you. And it says they're going to insult you. See, it's not just about getting our backs beaten with whips, and it's not just about being thrown in dungeons. Peter uses those three instances. Slander, speaking evil against you, and insulting us. And if we are people who really want to stand arm in arm and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are going to suffer for his sake. There's the key. For his sake. In his interest. For the good of the gospel, it is a gracious privilege. And it is the gracious privilege because sometimes he uses our suffering to touch the hearts of other people. But he always, our suffering always is temporary and small compared to the eternal glory that God has set aside for us. So yes, he says, it is even granted for us to suffer. And then lastly he says. And you are engaged in the same conflict. That word conflict. Is the same word as agonize. Well what is Paul's conflict? He's in jail. He's separated from those he loves. Why? Because he proclaimed the gospel. That's the only thing they had against Paul. He proclaimed the gospel. And he's saying, you share in this with me. And you know, we are called to share in the agony of brothers and sisters in Christ. But we are called to live a life worthy of the gospel. And I think that's a question that we don't answer just once. We answer that day by day. Am I living a life worthy of the gospel does that mean perfect no no in fact one person asked me what I was going to preach on I said perfection but the only perfect person I know today is my wife so <laughs> you know so I couldn't do that 
Uh, there's some brownie points I just got, though. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it, it's just true. You know, suffering is a part of what God has called us to. And if we live and proclaim the gospel, we will. So I'll close with that question I asked earlier. You're willing to die for the gospel? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll go. I'll die. We don't know that. My question is, are you willing to live for the gospel? When I ask you that, I don't mean as a lone ranger. I mean as a part of the body of Christ. Are you willing to link elbows together with brothers and sisters and live a life that promotes the gospel of Jesus Christ? And some people say, well, I can do it by myself. Some people have to. I can do it by myself. I have the Spirit of God. My question to you is, but why? Why? Why do you want to do it by yourself? When God has brought you into a family. And see, that's what we are. That we're together. And, and I know, as I said, there's always people on the outside looking in. And, man, it shouldn't be that way. People should be looking for people to lock elbows with. To, to walk together through this life. Now I said that this is not a message just for believers. But it is in a big way. But it's also for those who have not yet believed. For the fact that your only hope is Jesus. You, you might say, hey, I don't get into that suffering stuff and conflict. I'll tell you a little secret. Whether you're a Christian or not, in life, you're going to have suffering and you're going to have conflict. The difference is, as a child of God, you have the blessed promises of God's presence with you and the promises of his strength and the promises of his body and the future promises of eternity. You see, your only hope is Jesus Christ. So my prayer for you today is that God would grant you Repentance and faith. I left that out a while ago, but repentance also is a grace gift from God. Nobody repents without God granting him repentance. So see, he is your only hope. So my prayer today would be that in some way the Spirit of God would use his word to just say, you know what? He's worth it. Jesus is worth it.